Welcome to the Soft Life with Sadie Baddies. Sadie Baddies is the antidote to mental health stigma, and this podcast is hosted by yours truly, Priscilla O. Adjman. We are a virtual sanctuary centering Black and multiracial people, and we prioritize the mental and emotional nourishment that is the foundation of collective healing in our communities. Thank you for being here. Welcome back to the Soft Life Baddies. Happy Tuesday or whichever day you choose to drop in and join us for this conversation today. I hope that you're having a lovely week. Last week was Valentine's Day, and I honestly loved seeing all of the Valentine's Day celebrations, Galentine's, all the romance. I just love love, so last week was a treat for me. And I also love that we're embracing, as a society, we're just bracing uh, Galentine's Day more and more. And I love how much effort the girls are putting into Galentine's and just treating your romantic, I mean, your platonic friendships and sisterhood, just as you would romantic relationships is that's, that's what life is about. So I hope that you enjoyed your Valentine's Day. And last week, we also talked about love languages, which was a hit, I would say. Y'all really love talking about your love languages. And we created a post on Instagram of the Zodiac signs as their own love languages. And a lot of you say that was pretty accurate. So if you have not checked out that post, definitely tune in and join us on the Soft Life Pod on Instagram, on TikTok. And you'll see all the behind the scenes um, content as well as more content around the podcast topics over there. So this week, we're diving deep into the topic of microaggressions. And if you have been here for a while, you know that we've touched on this before, especially in 2020, when we shared a lot of content around social justice, structural racism, and we actually have a guide on over 25 topics related to just being a Black person and being a person of color in America and everything that comes with that. So that guide is on our Instagram page. But today we're talking specifically about microaggressions. And I think it's important to have this conversation, no matter what is going on in the current news cycle, microaggressions is something that we have to deal with all the time. And personally, me as a black woman, dealing with microaggressions is un- inevitable. Unfortunately, I've had to deal with microaggressions and still do from time to time in my workplace, um, in, when I was in school, in social settings. It doesn't matter online. And it's really frustrating. It's beyond frustrating because it also is one of those situations where in the moment you may not know what to say or what to do. So this topic is really designed to help you learn how to pivot and also how to confront someone if you are dealing with a microaggression. Because the more conversations and discussions we have about topics like this, we can help to shift the narrative and we can also help for other people to be more mindful and aware of the way that we communicate with each other, the way that we treat each other, especially in work settings or social settings. So one example of a microaggression that comes to mind the most is when I was working at one of the biggest hospital systems in New York. And this example sticks out like a sore thumb because it was just one of those moments where I wish I had the advice that I'm giving you now to handle that experience. 
Um, and at the time, this was about, I would say, four years ago. Yeah, about four years ago, I was working as a patient coordinator and I was working as a liaison essentially between patients and the provider, the healthcare providers at this hospital. And I would have to show up to their appointments and just be very in person, show a lot of face. Um, Although the team itself was pretty diverse, um, I was one out of like maybe two black coordinators on the whole team. And I worked with the team of doctors and I was waiting one day for a patient to wrap up an appointment with their provider. And the chief, like the head provider of this department, he knew me. I mean, I had been there for over a year at this point. I'd been working there for over a year and I was waiting in the hallway. Um, and this was when I had to kind of go buy a dress code. Like I couldn't wear like jeans or um, like sweatpants or something, any like super casual to work. I'd always have to kind of dress up a little bit. Um, not that this matters, but just to show you that the respectability politics of it don't even come into play because I didn't, I, I looked like I belonged there because I had been working there. And um, he walked by me and he's white and he goes to me, oh, are you waiting for the bus or something to me? And literally just like stared me up and down and just kept walking and I was like, what? What do you what do you mean by that? And he's like, oh, you just look like you're waiting around for the bus. I'm like, the bus? Like, how does that even correlate to what I'm doing right now, which is I'm here at work. I'm doing my job. And, you know, I actually brought this up to HR at the time and I filed a, a report. I filed a complaint and they as expected um, at the time, you know, I didn't know what was going to come out of it, but um, they they said that they were going to handle it internally. And there really was no outcome after that. I, I didn't really have any follow up information. It was confidential. So that was that was a situation where I wish I had showed up better for myself and advocated for myself in that moment. And I want to I also want to be clear that if you're in an environment, um, a work environment that um, you might have to deal with microaggressions or you are dealing with microaggressions, sometimes you are going to have to advocate for yourself or you're going to have to create um, connections with people who can hear you out because it may not always end up being in favor of how you want it to turn out. So I think regardless of the outcome of you confronting or addressing a microaggression that might happen in your workplace or another environment, I think it's still important to advocate for yourself and be able to speak up and confront the situation regardless of what the outcome is. So let's talk about what a microaggression actually is. And the term microaggression was coined by a black Stanford University professor and psychiatrist, Dr. Claude Steele, in the 1970s. And additionally, the definition of microaggressions is described by Professor Daryl W. Sue as the everyday slights, indignities, and put downs and insults that people of color, women, 
LGBTIA populations are those who are in marginalized experiences in their day-to-day interactions with people. So Dr. Sue also breaks down three different forms of microaggressions in his 2007 article for the American Psychologist. And these are the three levels of microaggressions. So you have what's called your microassaults, which are deliberate acts of racism, such as using racial slurs and offensive symbols and gestures. An example of this would be to dress up in blackface or to call someone a racial slur to their face. That is a microassault. Another layer or the second layer of microaggression is a microinsult, which is more subtle, but they are known as verbal and nonverbal communications that are insensitive and demeaning demeaning to a minority's heritage or background. So an example of this would be someone saying to you that you only got the job because they needed to fill their minority quota or because of affirmative action. That type of language is a micro insult because it takes away the validity of that person's background It takes away and it actually takes a stab at their identity as a person as being the reason why they were able to receive an opportunity. And it's it's offensive, obviously, Um, especially if you know that you worked hard to be in a certain space and someone is reducing that just down to your the color of your skin or your identity. That is a micro insult. And this happens all the time, Um, both subliminally and also very overtly. So the 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 last layer or the last level of microaggression um is also very subtle and this can happen all the time it's micro invalidations and micro invalidations are communications that nullify or invalidate the experiences of a marginalized group. A prime example of this would be to say something like all lives matter as a response to someone saying Black Lives Matter. And no, I will not be elaborating on that one any further. <laughs> so despite having the word micro in it, the microaggressions that we face on a daily basis can have significant impact in the way that minorities, especially specifically in this case, Black people, um, are perceived and treated in this world. And I'm saying specifically Black people because I can only speak to my experience as a Black woman. However, I can still see that microaggressions affect so many of us and at different times in our lives, no matter where we are either, whether you live in the United States or you live somewhere else, microaggressions affect a lot of us on a regular basis. Studies have actually shown that microaggressions can significantly affect the mental health of minorities. And over time, microaggressions can become major burdens to us mentally, socially, emotionally, and even physically. A 2017 study showed that racism and microaggressions lead to worse health outcomes over time. And in 2014, a study of 400 young adults of color showed that microaggressions can even lead to thoughts of suicide. Additionally, a lot of uh, microaggressions that happen frequently or are reported instances of microaggressions in minority groups um, can be associated with depressive symptoms. 
So this is also especially in communities where there are not um, diverse populations or the minority groups are isolated from the rest of the, the neighborhood or the community. This can lead to young folks and just people in general feeling very isolated and very alone in their experiences. And compounding microaggressions on top of that can just also make people feel like their existence isn't enough and that they don't deserve to take up space, which is so far from the truth. So some examples of microaggressions that can happen on a regular basis. And honestly, all of these examples are things that I've had said to me um, and you might have had said to you. One example of a microaggression that I get all the time is that people tell me that I sound so articulate and I don't sound black. I used to get this when I was a kid all the time. I used to be called um, a white girl because I spoke the way I spoke. And I didn't understand why me speaking in a certain way would warrant other non-Black kids, Black and non-Black kids. <laughs> but in this instance, especially non-Black kids calling me white because I spoke in a certain way. Um that was in a microaggression that I dealt with all through childhood and um, telling a black person or telling a person of color that they're articulate um, it is a microaggression because a lot of times you would not tell a non-black person or you would not tell a white person that they sound articulate um, because that's just the quote unquote standard of speech or standard of communication. So um, calling someone articulate in that way, it's it's different when you say something like, I really love the way you express yourself. But saying that somebody's articulate is a lot of times there is that racial component that comes with it. And that's something that I have dealt with my whole life. And even sometimes every now and then I still deal with people um, telling me that I'm very articulate or I, I don't sound like a black person, which is crazy because what does a black person sound like? We are not a monolith. There's so many ways to express ourselves, to be who we are. There's so many vernaculars of blackness. And on top of that, I'm also first generation American. So I have this dual identity being West African, but also being born here and having parents that speak a completely different language than what I grew up speaking. So that is a microaggression that I've dealt with my whole life. Um, another microaggression that might happen or can happen often is um, someone refusing to pronounce your name and saying to you, your name is so hard to pronounce. I'll just call you some random name instead. Don't let other people give you nicknames or try to dilute the ethnic name that your parents gave you. You can say your full name with your chest. You can say your full name with your whole chest. That is your ancestor's name. That is the name of the people that came before you. And you should be so proud to have that name. I love names that are hard to pronounce. I think they're beautiful. And for a long time, I was ashamed to say my full name, Priscilla Opoku Ajiman. I used to be ashamed of my middle name because I knew it would make me sound so different than the people in my class who had different last names than I did. 
And I wanted to fit in so desperately, especially my early childhood and my adolescence. And now I am so proud to say my full name. And I say it with pride and confidence because that is my lineage. That's my heritage. That's my father's last name. That's my great grandfather's last name. And I'm really proud to be able to carry that name on with me, no matter how difficult it is for someone to learn or pronounce your name, you can break it down in syllables and don't let people keep mispronouncing your name because you're too embarrassed to have them say it correctly. If you have a name that is difficult for other people to say, that's not your fault. And I think a sign of respect, a basic sign of respect is getting somebody's name right. Another microaggression that's often said um, to me, and I know a lot of other (laughs) Black women deal with this on a regular basis, is someone telling you that you change your hair so much, does it hurt? Or you come in with a new hairstyle at work and everybody's like, oh my God, your hair, it's so long. It was so short yesterday or vice versa. Or is this your real hair? How long did it take? Can I touch it? Don't let nobody touch your hair. <laughs> if you let, Don't let anybody touch your hair or make you feel like you're a petting zoo just because they're intrigued or interested or curious. There's no reason for anyone to be touching your hair or putting their hands on you, especially if you did not consent to it. And again, this was something that I would regularly have happened to me, especially in middle school. By the time I got to high school, I think I was a little bit more outspoken and I was able to advocate for myself enough to let people know, like, do not do that to me. Like, I'm not comfortable with that and just being more vocal. But For a very long time, I just allowed it to happen because I did not know what to say. And allowing people to invade your space, invade your privacy, and just put their hands on you is inappropriate. And if someone's asking you about your hair or what you do to your hair and how much it costs, that's none of their business, especially if they're not paying for it. That's none of their business. It's it's not up to them to understand your self-expression or understand how you show up in the world. Um, Another microaggression that happens and is often said by by people who don't want to come across as offensive um, is when someone says, I'm not racist, my fill in the blank is black. So if you tell somebody that they're, you know, that you have felt that they are showing that they are intolerant or they're racist or they're prejudiced towards you. And they say, well, no, I can't be racist because I have a friend that's black or my partner's black or my niece is black. Your proximity to blackness or your proximity to someone who is different than you does not invalidate your likeliness or the possibility of you being harmful, period. And I think sometimes there's a misconception that just because your proximity to a certain group or a certain race makes you, absolves you of being harmful to that group. And I, I don't think that could be further from the truth. And it's very simple because at the end of the day, just because somebody tells you that you've been offensive or you are, you know, you've said something that's racist or you've just 
given them a reason to feel like you are invalidating their experience or you don't see them for who they are. That is a, that is a learning experience for you. On, on the other hand, that's that's a learning experience for you to take that information and actually listen and not be defensive and try to turn this the whole situation and make it about yourself. That invalidates the whole experience that invalidates somebody's identity and them wanting to advocate for themselves. And it just makes it that much harder. Um, another microaggression that happens often and in the workplace is speaking over or interrupting black colleagues, especially during meetings or discussions and or even erasing or minimizing your fellow black colleagues contribution and passing it off as your own. Um, Doing this is definitely microaggression because there are so many ways to create space and create comfort for everybody, but especially at work where oftentimes black, black employees or, or black people in workspaces can sometimes feel uncomfortable or may not know how to show up as themselves or bring their full selves to work. It can be really, really discouraging when you have someone that's speaking over you or interrupting you constantly. And one way to just circumvent this is to say, I'm not done speaking or I actually was not done with my thought and then continue what you're going to say and not have it be this awkward, weird moment. And if people are unaware of the fact that you are the only one in the room that has not been able to speak up and there is just no regard or consideration for your thoughts or your input, that is that is definitely an opportunity to have a discussion and to advocate for yourself because there's no reason why you shouldn't have the same ability to take up that space as anybody else on your team or anybody else that you work with. So these are things and these are ways that microaggressions can show up in our social lives, in our in our work settings. And I think that microaggressions are so subtle sometimes because I know for me, there have been times where I didn't really know what my next, you know, what what my response or my reply was to something because I just didn't have the language to advocate for myself. And one day, one way that I've learned how to advocate for myself is to not laugh in the moment. If there's something that is embarrassing that happens or there's a microaggression that happens, sometimes ner- being nervous, you can kind of try to laugh something off and not want to make a big deal out of it. Don't laugh because that takes away from the seriousness of the situation. And when you real when when the other person realizes that what that what they're doing is inappropriate and you take away that cushion of oh haha it's just a joke i mean hopefully and ideally that is that's that pause where you can switch the conversation and ask what do you mean by that and that's something that i've learned to use in my language is if i am dealing with a microaggression in the moment instead of trying to just ignore it or laugh it off i'll say well what exactly do you mean by that and having the person elaborate and explain exactly what they mean and then you know that becomes a dialogue and if that dialogue becomes uncomfortable or it gets harmful or violent for any reason that is your 
signal to exit that conversation and safely put yourself in an environment where you're not being verbally attacked or being verbally assaulted. I have also learned that documenting things, especially if they happen at work, is a really important thing to do because, like I said before, no matter what the outcome is of you bringing up this to your HR department or to your manager, whoever it may be, your professor, whatever, documenting it and showing that this actually happened is super important because one thing you cannot argue with is facts. And whatever whatever the situation is, choosing to document it will help you in the long run so that, first of all, you're not just trying to go off of your memory, but second of all, it adds weight to the situation. And if this is happening over time, this is happening over and over again, and you have all this written proof that this is what's been going on um, for a period of time, that is, that's a case for the Department of Labor. <laughs> okay, that is a case. And this is true. I, I know, especially in New York City, if you have um, a Department of Labor complaint or claims, which you can file online, um, just Google it, and you have a case that's not being taken into consideration at your workplace, you can skip going through HR and just go to the Department of Labor. Because at that point, your job, whether they are an equal opportunities employer or so they say, you are not supposed to be working in a hostile environment. And if these microaggressions keep happening over and over and over again, then it's considered a hostile environment. Um, And that's detrimental to your mental health. And there's no reason to be in that space and not have the support and not get the resources that you need. And sometimes, unfortunately, the outcome of that might be you having to get a new job. It might be you having to resign from your current space if they do not, if they're not able to redeem themselves from dealing with this microaggression or being the perpetrators of these microaggressions or racial situation, what have you. That is your exit plan, finding an exit plan and developing an exit strategy so that you're no longer in that space because you cannot heal in the same space that you're being harmed in. And especially if that's a workspace that happens every single day, you do not need to stay in that environment every single day and be abused um, verbally or deal with the microaggressions that you're dealing with verbally um, on a daily basis. One thing that I've realized is that there's certain things that I can control and then there's certain things that are outside of my control. And some of those things that are outside of my control are the wage gap that exists in the United States between men and women. There are certain efforts that I cannot control, whether it be the diversity, equity and inclusion efforts at your workplace. You may not necessarily be a direct contributor to those policies and something that is outside of your control because it's a, it's a systemic issue is the structural racism and sexism and homophobia or the cultural incompetency that exists in all of the spaces, all of the communities, all of the social settings that we go through on a regular basis and on a daily basis. What we can control, however, is advocating for ourselves and each other. Communication and language are one of the most, if not the most important factors in shaping the way that we show up in the workplace. 
And whether you work from home and you have a fully remote job and you barely see your coworkers or whether you're in the office every single day, having the communication and language to show up as yourself and be your true self at work is so important. I can't stress this enough because regardless of what your role is or what your position is, it may get harder as you go as you continue on your career journey, or it might get a little bit easier over time if you see that you have more influence and you have more power to contribute and to change the way that things are played out at your at your workspace. And, you know, maybe you become more involved in the DEI efforts at your job. The one thing I will say is I have had to learn how to validate myself after dealing with the microaggression. And right after I dealt with the microaggression that I shared with you um, when I was working at that hospital, I felt so violated. I felt so deeply offended and I felt belittled. I felt angry. I was frustrated. And I knew that I would have to do some type of, um, I would have to do some grounding practices. And one thing that I did besides, you know, obviously talking to my family, my friends and my loved ones about it is I decided to write out some affirmations after I dealt with that microaggression. And I'm going to share them with you because I think that in the moment you can sometimes feel overwhelmed. And these affirmations really help me to remember who I am and not be afraid to take up space. And the first affirmation I want to share is I am powerful. This is so simple, but what a microaggression does is it destabilizes you. It destabilizes your sense of self. It destabilizes who you know you are versus how oppression sees you as. And one way that I always like to remind myself of this is reminding myself how powerful I am. Another affirmation that I used a lot and still use is I refuse to shrink myself for the comfort of others. What dealing with the microaggression is or dealing with um, a moment where you know that you're being you know that you're being discriminated against and you know that your the offense is not just superficial it's it's based on your identity and it can make you not want to show up in spaces it can make you want to hide and one thing that i refuse to do is to shrink myself I refuse to shrink myself in, for the comfort of others. I refuse to go in a corner and hide or feel small or not show my face and be present because you deserve to be there. There's no, there's nothing that will take away at my core who I know myself to be, despite whatever microaggressions are happening to me or around me. Um, and similar to that, I always affirm to myself that I am worthy of taking up space. And again, and you know, in the example that I shared, I was literally just existing. I was just standing there. And in that moment, I immediately physically shrunk myself and I had to remind myself, no, I deserve to take up space. I am worthy of taking up space. I'm here to take up space because the patients at the time that I was working with, they really needed me. They needed to see a 
person that looks like them so that they can have trust so that they can feel comfortable at their appointments in that they knew that there was going to be somebody that was going to advocate for them and listen to them and hear them out. Because we know in the medical system, there are a lot, a lot of discriminations that happen. Um, Medical racism is real. And we need people that look like us to show up and be someone that we can look to and remind ourselves that we are not alone. Another affirmation that I would always share was um, I am far beyond what oppression sees me as. So having um, having that be something that's stuck in my head and remembering that despite whatever is happening externally to me, I am far beyond what this moment sees me as. If you want to see me as incompetent, Okay, you can think that. If you want to see me as not worthy of taking up space, you can go ahead and think that. If you want to see me as somebody that does not deserve to be here because of the color of my skin, you can go ahead and be delusional and keep thinking that. But guess what? I'm still here. I'm still going to show up. I'm going to take up space. And I'm far beyond what oppression might see me as in this moment. I don't care because I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. Um, And last but not least, I always would love to always affirm to myself, I thank my ancestors for giving me strength and endurance. Whenever you deal with a microaggression, I always think about, I have this visualization that always comes up and it's my parents behind me and then behind them is my grandparents and then behind them is my great-grandparents and behind them is my great-great-grandparents and it's just a lineage of people that are literally holding me up and every single layer of the people before me, I remember the sacrifices that they had to make and I get emotional when I think about the sacrifices that my parents made for me and my siblings and the sacrifices that they still make to this day to give us a comfortable life when they decided to leave their home country in the 80s and the late 80s and come to the United States on the East Coast and start brand new. Of all the microaggressions that they dealt with, my parents dealt with so many blatantly racist moments, especially with them being African and having accents and my mom um, having an accent and not really knowing and understanding the culture and having to assimilate to the culture of America. When I think about their strength, I know that I cannot fail. When I think about their strength, I think about all of the sacrifices that I might have to make, but they're not nearly as heavy as the sacrifices that they had to make for me. And the next time you think about a microaggression that happens to you or that does happen to you, I want you to remember your family. I want you to remember your ancestors. And I want you to remember and channel that strength because that strength is in you. I refuse to let any workplace environment or any situation make me feel smaller because I have the strength of thousands of ancestors behind me. And that alone, that alone (laughs) makes me stand up straighter. That alone makes me feel unstoppable. It makes me feel capable of anything. And I really attribute a lot of that resilience to my parents, to the people that came before me. So the next time you have a Karen in your workplace and 
she is, you know, telling you something that you don't want to hear. I want you to channel that energy. I want you to channel that strength. And remember that you come from a lineage of people who are so resilient and who are holding you up. And there is no softness without resilience. A big part of why I started this podcast is to pay respect and pay um, an ode to my my family, my parents, my uh, my ancestors, because they did not have a soft life. They had a very difficult life. And the fact that I'm able to record episodes of a podcast every single week and do it at the time when I want to and do it at my own leisure is that's a testament of the sacrifices that they made. They didn't have time for leisure. They didn't have time for traveling. They didn't have time for hobbies or they didn't have time to pause everything and say, okay, I want to start this creative venture right now. Everything they did was for survival. And so if my softness is a direct reflection of their resilience, that always makes me feel fulfilled as a person and as an individual and as a daughter of two amazing, strong, hardworking African Ghanaian parents. And I couldn't be prouder to be where I'm from. And I think that microaggressions are a slap in the face. However, even though that they're triggering and they can make you question your self-worth, I want you to remind you that you are not alone and it's not don't ever let a microaggression make you forget who you are. And if you ever need to come back to how to deal or how to navigate with a microaggression, it all starts with you channeling that inner strength. It all starts with you showing up and taking up space. And it's also, you have to be a little bit fearless. You are going to have to confront someone. You are going to have to respond. Being passive is not enough. Being passive in the workplace is not enough. Being passive in your 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 school or your school setting or your neighborhood, that's not enough. We have to be as fearless as the people that came before us and not only verbalize, but actually act upon when we are being um, treated wrong, when we are being discriminated against and have a little bit of that fearlessness that the, your parents had or your parents' parents had, because that's still in you. That's in your DNA. It's always going to be in your DNA. So I hope this encourages you the next time you deal with a microaggression or if you, you know, you get up and you have to go to work today and you you are the only person in your job that looks like you, hold your head up high. Stop putting your head down and feeling like you can't take up space. You don't have to be the loudest in the room to be the most powerful. You don't have to be the loudest in the room to make the most noise. You don't have to be the loudest in the room to shake the table. Your presence alone is enough and you don't have to do a lot. You just have to be yourself and show up fearlessly and unapologetically and don't let nobody talk to you crazy. Like I always say, don't let anyone talk to you crazy. Don't accept disrespect. Don't allow people to mispronounce your name. Don't allow people to speak over you and don't be afraid to take up space. And these microaggressions are inevitable, especially if you are a black person, especially if you are Latina, Latino, Indigenous, Asian, um, whatever whatever your background is in your identity, chances are you have dealt with or are dealing with or will deal with a microaggression at some point in your life. I don't want that to ever 
make you forget who you are at your core. And, and that's why we need community. We need people that can help us to remember who we are and finding those safe spaces, whether that's finding it online at first and then finding those in-person spaces. But wherever your spaces exist, virtually or in real life, connect with those people because they're going to understand exactly where you're coming from and where where what you need in that moment. Maybe you need just somebody to vent to. Maybe you just need someone that's going to listen to you. Or maybe you need some advice and, you know, finding a mentor or finding an advocate for you at work who can really show up for you in the way that you need them to. So I hope that this episode helps. And the next time you deal with the microaggression, I hope that you are able to come back to this and just remember who you are and your power. And I am sending you so much love. I've dealt with microaggressions my whole life and it's still to this day, it it doesn't shake me as much as it used to because that just comes with age and experience. However, it's still, it's deeply offensive and it's harmful. So share this with somebody, you know, share this with your friend at work. Um, Cause you know, sometimes we can't be our full selves, but when we can, it's beautiful because we deserve to share the full range of our expression no matter where we are and where we go so if you're a black girl at work I want you to feel comfortable you know being who you are wear the box braids wear the hoops you know um be who you are and even if you have to mix having the standards of being in a corporate space I know for me I would wear braids all the time but I'd still wear my button downs and you know I'd still always make sure I had manicure and Those were things that I had to do just to navigate those spaces so that I could be at the point where I could just be cozy in my own space and not feel judged or have to worry about anything or or being perceived in a certain way. But if you have to play the game for a little bit, sis, do what you need to do so that you can get to the bag and that you can move on to things that are really what you're passionate about. And if you're passionate about doing something in the workplace or staying in corporate in the corporate space, I'm rooting for you. But if you also want to navigate and do things that are, um, you know, become self-employed or start a business, maybe this is the, you know, maybe this is the moment that you decide that based off of your interactions that you've had at work, um, whatever your situation is, I just hope that you are giving yourself grace and being kind to yourself no matter what. And I will link all of our topics on microaggressions and being black at work in our show notes. So check those out. And I'm sending you love. I hope that you have a beautiful week. Stay soft. To stay connected, join Sadie Baddies on Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, and more. And sign up for our monthly newsletter on sadiebaddies.com to stay in the loop. Sending you hella love and stay soft, baddie.